All right, so we're once again examining the closing remarks of the epistle of the Apostle Paul. This time we're looking at the closing remarks of 1 Corinthians and the verses 5 to 14. And then we're going to take note of the closing concerns, admonitions, instructions, commands, and a few personal notes Paul has for members of God's special team. So in our passage, Paul's coming again. He'll be, he says he'll be coming again to Corinth, but he tells them he's going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because there is a great door opened up there for him for ministry. Uh, Paul's being sensitive to the Lord's timing uh, and the opportunities the Lord's giving him to minister. He wants to do what the Lord wants him to do. And so he tells the Corinthians to not despise his son in the ministry, Timothy, who will be coming to them. Paul gives them in this passage some final words regarding their labor in the Lord, regarding living rightly in the Lord, and loving rightly in the Lord. So working for the Lord. The thing Paul speaks about in this section of the chapter of chapter 16 has to do with the work of the Lord, and the work of the Lord in which all Christians should be abounding. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So the work of the Lord consists basically of two things, evangelizing and edifying, the two outstanding marks of Jesus' own ministry. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. Throughout the three and a half years of his ministry, Jesus carefully taught his disciples. He edified them. He built them up. He taught them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, Acts 1.3. So the work of the Lord consists basically of two things, evangelizing and edifying. Jesus preached the gospel to those who did not know him. He evangelized. And he also taught them that did know him. He edified. Throughout his earthly ministry, you find him alternating between preaching and evangelizing to the lost and teaching and edifying the saved. Those two tasks, evangelizing and edifying, are at the heart of the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Matthew 28, 19-20. So our first point is we are to labor rightly for the Lord. Now let's look at those verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to read verses 5 to 12. Now I will come unto you, and I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey, whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. So when we truly do the work of the Lord, our labor will not be in vain. The work Paul is speaking of is not just busy work for the Lord. It's evangelizing, it's edifying, it, it can be hard work, not just work for the sake of appearing busy, 
but work that has that as goal the evangelizing of the lost and the edifying of the brethren. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way, Paul has in mind the kind of toil that has in it the red blood of sacrifice, the kind of toil that wearies and weakens along the way. It can be hard, it can be wearisome, it can be toilsome, but that's the kind of work we're supposed to willingly put in for the Lord. So notice verse 10 says, Worketh the work of the Lord. Living for God requires us to work for God. The work of the Lord requires actual work. We need to be working the work of the Lord. We need to be people known for working the work of the Lord. We should be doers, not just learners. We should be doers, not just sitters. We should be doers, not just attenders. We need to be actively engaged in working and doing the work of the Lord. Actively engage in evangelizing and edifying. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, not all of us can actually go out and do a lot of physical things for the Lord, but we can pray like we've talked about before. That could be our work that we do for the Lord. We could pray. We pray, pray often, pray, and we can work those prayer lists and just pray and beg and plead with the Lord. That's what we can do. Others of us can go out and knock on doors or go out and do door hangers. Other of us can do different things, just, just edify and teach. We all need to be engaged in working and helping the work of the Lord. So let's look at some characteristics needed in Christian workers. First one, Christian workers need to be flexible. 1 Corinthians 16, 6, And it may be that I will abide, yea, winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey, whithersoever I go. If you notice, Paul said it may and ye may. He's leaving some flexibility in what he's talking about. While we ought to have a vision, while we ought to have a plan, we also need to be sensitive to the Lord's revisions of our vision and plans. We may have something planned out to happen in a certain order, according to a certain timetable, a certain allocation of resources. And I'm basically kind of speaking to myself a little bit here. I have a vision for what I think the Lord wants me to do. I have the timetable. I have the resources. I have exactly how I think it should go. But I need to be open for the Lord revising all of that or basically almost taking it and saying, nope, we're going to do it this way, you know, <laughs> but I need to be trying and planning and working what I need to work at. But I also need to be open to the Lord just saying, nope, we're doing something completely different. I, we have to be sensitive to the Lord's revisions of our plans. So we may have something, again, planned out to have in a certain order, according to a certain timetable, certain allocation resources. But the Lord may have a completely different plan for the vision and burden he has given to us. So like Paul, it may be that we will do what we have planned in the way we have planned for the Lord, or it may not happen the way we plan at all. We need to willingly submit to whatever the Lord does and however he does it. Only his will is perfect, not ours. Only he is sovereign, not us. We should keep James 4.15 in mind as we plan and prepare for the vision and burden the Lord has given us. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that if the lord will we need to always keep that phrase in mind that reminds me my grandparents used to always say if the lord's willing and the creek don't rise you know we'll we'll do that and i never got that you know i get the lord willing part but the creek uh, the creek don't rise i never got that part but the lord saw fit to give me that illustration i was in college in tennessee about an hour from where my, my grandma lived and it had been raining a lot and I usually tried to go over there about once a week, sometimes twice a week, you know, sometimes close enough 
go visit with her, and, and she would sometimes do my laundry for me and stuff. So I had I had other <laughs> other motives for going there, but I would I thought this one time I'm going to go run see my grandma. So I'm driving. I've been driving about 45 minutes. I get to a town, and the bridge to go on further is completely covered, and it's a bridge over a creek, and it was totally flooded. I couldn't get to my grandma's house. So I thought, the Lord's willing, and the creek don't rise. Maybe the Lord is willing, but the creek, that, that, that phrase just came to my mind immediately. I'm like, I get it. I get it now, you know. I couldn't do what I wanted to do because the creek rose, you know. And that wasn't the time of cell phones or anything like that. My, it was the day I normally came to my grandma's house. So then I had to go, I think I had to go buy something, get some change, and find a pay phone to, to call my grandma, let her know I couldn't make it. You know, but that illustrated ever since then, I've always had that in mind. That's, I know what that means. The frequent rise. All right. Anyway, back to our, our message or lesson this morning. We should keep James 4.15 in mind, uh, if the Lord will. So all of his life, uh, David Livingston wanted to be a missionary to China, but God sent him to Africa instead, where he worked and died, opening up that great continent to mission work, much as William Carey had done in India. He never went to the place he personally wanted to go, but he served willingly, unreservedly, and fruitfully where God put him. He had a great vision for China, but because he wanted above all else to do the Lord's will, he was flexible. He was willing clay in the potter's hands to be molded and remolded in whatever ways and whatever locations that God pleased. Hath not the potter power over the clay? Romans 9.21 Is not God sovereign? Is not God's will Perfect. We just need to be flexible and trust that the Lord knows what is best. So Christian workers need to be flexible. Next one is Christian workers need to be thorough. 1 Corinthians 16, 7, 8. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way always demands thoroughness. We should not halfway do the work of evangelizing and edifying. These things, these things should be uh, focused on with detail, with thoroughness, with hard work. If Paul were to accomplish anything worthwhile during his next visit to Corinth, he knew he had to do more than see them by the way. He had to tarry a while with them. But again, he qualifies this with flexibility and submission to the Lord's will with his qualifying statement, if the Lord permit. So Paul wanted everything he did for the Lord to be sound, be pertinent, be worthwhile. He wanted to be thorough. He wanted to make sure he did it the best way. He wanted to meet his goals. He wanted to meet what the Lord wanted him to do. But the, the best way to make sure we meet those goals in our personal ministry for the Lord is with thoroughness. The Great Commission cannot be fulfilled with anything less than thoroughness. Evangelism, making disciples of all nations, is only the beginning. Teaching new converts requires time. And for us to be thorough and systematic. Truly fulfilling the Great Commission is a long and demanding process. It cannot be done quickly, cannot be done haphazardly. It must be done with thoroughness. So our next characteristic. Christian workers need to be accepting of challenges. Verse 9. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. I like how Paul kind of tacks it on at the end. He's excited. There's a great door, effectual worker is open unto me. And there's also many adversaries. You know, I'm, I'm going to have some opposition, a lot of opposition, probably a lot of problems. But the door is open, and I want to I want to work it. So another characteristic of a Christian worker is the acceptance, or a necessary characteristic is the acceptance of opposition as a challenge rather than a hindrance. 
It is having the right mindset of taking the hindrances as just delays to the ultimate victory instead of precursors to defeat. In authentic ministry for the Lord, there will be opposition, there will be problems, there will be adversaries. Satan's going to see to that. G. Campbell Morgan said, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. Paul was not intimidated by opposition. He seemed to thrive on it. Perhaps because he realized that the greater the opposition of Satan, the greater the work it could be or would be for the Lord. So it excited him to see opposition or hindrances. That meant he was on the right track for the Lord. Now the reality of opposition. It's one thing to say uh, we're going to have opposition, but you have to kind of face your, the reality of opposition. To Paul, great opposition meant great opportunity. But that does not mean he discounted the enemy's danger to himself or to those he ministered to. Almost daily he felt pain and torment from the opposition. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-11, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Opposition can help spread the word, can help spread the message. In spite of fierce opposition, or in part because of fierce opposition, Acts 19.20 says, Mightily grew the word of God and prevailed in Ephesus. The Lord will not leave us to face opposition alone. I found this incredible uh, illustration. Well, John Patton, he was a missionary. While John Patton was a university student in Scotland, God called him to mission work in the South Pacific. After graduation, he and his bride sailed to the island of Tana and began, began missionary work among the savage cannibals on the island. His wife and infant son died a few months later, and Patton had to sleep on their graves for several nights to prevent the cannibals from digging up their bodies and eating them. What a, what a, what a thing. After almost four years of faithful work on Tana, he left without seeing a single soul saved. Many years later, his son, by another marriage, resumed the work on Tana and eventually saw the entire island come to Christ. When the elder Patton revisited the island, the chief of the former cannibals asked the missionary this question, who the great army was that surrounded his hut every night when he first came among them? That's something. That's something. When I read that, I, I choked up. I, I started tearing up when I read that. And, and, I mean, who was that great army that surrounded your hut every night when you first got here? You know, and he was sleeping on their graves to protect them. He didn't need to. God already had it covered. You know, I'm just thinking that's just incredible. I'm just thinking that God's angels protected him. So because of his faithful work, of John Patton and that of his son, when he left the island chain for the last time after ministering on another island as well, it is reported that he said with tearful eyes, I don't know of one native on these islands who has not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Opposition means opportunity. This reminds me of the account in 2 Kings chapter 6, when a servant of man of God was risen early, and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both horses and chariots. And a servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And a servant sees all the enemy around him, they're, they're fearful, thinking that he's going to get them. And Master, what shall, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they which be with us are more than they that be with them. I love that. 
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The Lord's going to protect us. The Lord's not going to forsake us. The Lord's not going to leave us alone to face opposition. The Lord watches out for his children. The Lord protects his children. The Lord can send an invisible angel army to protect us if that's what's needed. He can surround us so those that wish to harm us cannot get near us. We do not know that perhaps maybe the Lord has already done that to some of us or all of us in this room at some point in time. Surrounded us and protected us. He, he, maybe he caused us to be late. We missed an accident. Or he caused us to think we saw something, we took another direction. We do not know how the Lord works to protect us from opposition. But we can rest assured that he does. And I'm, I know I'm looking forward. I hope the Lord will let us know when we get to heaven and go back and say, remember this? This is what was really going on. You know, here's where I worked. Here's where I protected you. you, you this, you, you saw it was a normal, ordinary day, but I kept you from this. You know, I just, I, I, I hope we get to see that when we get up there. So he does watch out for us. He does protect us. And he will send an army of angels if needed to help keep us safe from our adversaries, if that's what it takes. Isaiah 41, 10 to 13, another great passage. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shall not find them, even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. And I love this last verse. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. That's amazing. I'm going to hold, the God says, I'm going to hold your right hand and, and let you know, fear not, I'm with you. So we need to be accepting of challenges in ministry, knowing the Lord will be with us in the midst of them, holding our hand, telling us not to fear, that he will help us. So next, Christian workers need to have a team spirit. 1 Corinthians 16, 10-11 Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. Paul looked out for his team members. Paul was a team worker. Though he was an apostle, he was privileged to receive great revelations from the Lord. He always worked closely with other Christians in whatever he did. He never considered himself a superstar preacher or evangelist, lording over those that he thought, quote-unquote, were below him. He did not allow himself to be filled with self. He didn't allow himself to be filled with pride or be filled with what others thought of him. He kept himself a humble servant of the Lord that gladly worked hand in hand with any other servant of the Lord in the work of the gospel. Paul sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia in Acts chapter 19, and Timothy was to go, down, go on down to Corinth, perhaps to carry this epistle. The apostle was concerned that Timothy might be ignored or might be mistreated. The Corinthians were proud, self-sufficient, strong-willed. They had a lot of things that had to be addressed, and Paul uh, knew that they had strongly already resisted his authority and so he's, he was thought likely they would do the same to Timothy. So Paul was an apostle and Timothy's father in the faith. Yet he considered Timothy his young friend to be the Lord's faithful worker just as he was. 
They were equal in faith because Timothy was doing the Lord's work and he was worthy of respect and honor. Paul was concerned with all servants of the Lord. He was a team player. He wanted all members to be all members of the team to be treated as well and respectfully as he was. Both as a believer and a leader, Paul closely identified himself with other Christians. He worked hard at developing, developing close relationships with as many as he could. Most of Paul's extended flock would have counted him as a close friend. They felt his love in words. They felt his love in deeds. And they felt his love in relationships built. Next, Christian workers need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in other workers' lives. Verse 12. Paul makes remarks regarding Apollos in verse 12 as touching our brother Apollos. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. The word translated there as desired has the same, is kind of same sense of encourage, admonish, beseech. Paul is really trying to get Apollos to go. Paul is in effect saying, I greatly encourage Apollos to come unto you with the other brethren. However, Apollos determined not to go. Paul wrote, but his will was not at all to come at this time. So Apollos declines to go to Corinth. So what are we to make of that? He may have been so disgusted with the partisan strife in the church, he wanted nothing to do with it. He heard all these problems about Corinth. He just didn't want to get in the middle of it and have anything to do with it. Or perhaps he didn't want to cause Paul any further problems by going to Corinth when it was so divided. Some were for Apollos, some were for Paul, some were for Peter. He didn't want to cause any further division by, by showing up there. Or perhaps he just didn't feel like he was being led to go there. Maybe he felt the Holy Spirit was just directing him not to go there. He didn't have peace about going there at that time. So Paul diplomatically added in that verse, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. The thought was literally he will come when he has an opportunity. Paul in no way was saying Apollos is wrong not to come, only that he greatly desired him to come. And Apollos apparently equally so felt he should not go at that present time. This shows us we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading of others and not assume we know what's right or we know what's best for them. They're, if we need to trust them that they're a good Christian, they're listening to the Holy Spirit. So in man's eyes, what Paul wanted to do with Apollos looked good. It looked right to do. Paul apparently had leadership qualities that, maybe weren't, that were maybe well suited for the situation that possibly Timothy did not have. Apollos was, however, convinced he should not go to Corinth at that time. We see here Paul respecting Apollos' decision, even though he may not have agreed with it. But Paul knew that even an apostle was not a mediator between God and the other Christians. God may use many different people and situations to show us his will, but he will always give us his peace to go along with his will, to affirm to us it is the right thing to do. And Apollos apparently did not have the peace, that peace of affirmation to go to Corinth. Others may tell us something is a great idea for us to do or, the, or for the Lord, or they may tell us something is, a, is not a great idea for us to do for the Lord. But it's up to us to seek God first. Seek a multitude of counselors. Then wait for that affirming peace from God. It may be right. It may be God's will, but it may be later and not now. Or maybe not God's will at all for us. Apollos, no doubt, had great trust in Paul's wisdom. And Paul's judgment, but his trust was first in the Lord as his guidance. So we need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. It's essential that God's workers work as a team, that there's unity, but it's also essential that we need to respect the Holy Spirit 
may lead us a little bit differently than someone else in different situations. Or we may think this is a great idea, a great thing. I think this is exactly what the Lord wants you to do. But maybe that person doesn't have peace at that moment. Maybe that person's thinking, the Lord, Holy Spirit's kind of lead me a little bit different direction. Or maybe just not right now. So we need to be respectful of each other. We need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. So our next point is we are to live rightly in the Lord. Verses 13 to 14. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. These two verses give five short instructions or imperatives regarding the Corinthians' disposition and character, which is also very uh, self-evident that it applies to us as well. First one was watch ye, or be on your guard against temptation, against Satan, against false teaching, against bad influence. The world is full of influences and forces that are potentially detrimental to our faith and wants to pull us away and hope we fall. So we need to be watch out for that, be on guard for that, watch ye. Number two, stand fast in the faith. First instruction was negative, watch out, but this one is positive, stand fast. Standing firm involves spiritual discipline and resolve as well as a strong sense of what faith is. We need to stand ready, stand on guard against the attack. We need to stand firm when the attacks come, for they will come. Number three, quit you like men, or act like mature men. Act like people of courage, act with resoluteness. Be mature in your faith. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, Ephesians six thirteen. Do not shrink from the conflict when Satan comes. Do not shrink from the fight. Do not surrender. Do not give in when the going gets tough. In other words, always do what you know is right in spite of the opposition, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the hazards. Always do what you know is right. So we need to watch. We need to stand fast in our faith. We need to quit you like men. We need to not shrink from the conflict, shrink from the fight. Number four, be strong. Be strong in the battle, having put on the whole armor of God and allowing the power of God to flow through you and guide you in the conflict. And number five, let all your things be done with charity. Paul puts a final injunction, a distinctly Christian condition in all these four previous instructions. We are to do all of them. We are to do everything in love. So how do we fight in love? How do we fight in love? We fight in love when we are defending our brothers and sisters in Christ. We fight in love when we are not fighting for ourselves, but for the Lord. And we fight in love when we make fighting itself the very last option. The apostle had written an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, dealing with this same injunction of love. Each of these final Injunctions are imperatives. They surely remain in force to this day for all of us. These were not only written for the Corinthians, they were written for us. We are to watch. We are to stand fast in faith. We are to be mature in our faith. We are to be strong. And we are to do all these things with love or with charity. We are to be on guard, stand firm, be courageous, be strong, and do all these with love. So conclusion. Let all your things be done with charity. Love complements our labor for the Lord, and love complements our living for the Lord. Love complements and balances everything else. 
Love complements and balances our flexibility for the Lord, our thoroughness for the Lord, our accepting of challenges in our service for the Lord, our humbleness and our team spirit for the Lord, our desire to respect others' decisions and actions as they seek to follow the Lord. Love is the beautiful, softening principle. It keeps our, our firmness from becoming hardness. It keeps our strength and assertiveness from becoming uh, domineering. Love keeps our maturity gentle and considerate. Love keeps our pride in check and helps to keep us humble. Love keeps our right doctrine from becoming obstinate dogmatism. And love keeps our right living from becoming self-righteousness. Love keeps us motivated to labor and live rightly for the Lord. It keeps us motivated in fulfilling the Great Commission. Love keeps us motivated and energized in our evangelizing and our edifying. Love strengthens us, love balances us, and love complements all that we do. Love is what the Corinthians needed most, and it's what believers of all ages need most. Above all, Peter says, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. Love, like spiritual strength, comes from the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, 1 John 4, 7. And finally, love is what enables us to live out the gospel, to live out the Great Commission, to lovingly labor for the Lord, to lovingly live for the Lord, and to humbly serve others and serve Christ. We are able to love one another. We are able to labor for the Lord. We are able to live for the Lord all because he first loved us, First John 419. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for our, our message, our lesson this morning, Lord. Just, just be with us. We thank you for all the blessings you've given us this week. Amen. <laughs>